portion of the worship service to being able to sing and and uh, be touched by the glory of God in the process. Very, very powerful and meaningful to me this morning. And thank each of you for your part in it and uh, the Holy Spirit's leadership to make it happen. Last week, I spent some time in Luke chapter 5. And in that passage, we talked specifically about a moment when Jesus calls four men. Peter and Andrew, two brothers, James and John, two brothers. Brothers who were fishing partners, who were fishing that day, not on their, not as they intended and not as they planned, but as Jesus directed. It's a, it's a day that I'll, recall, I'll hope to recall to you just briefly. Jesus is standing on the edge of the river, or of the edge of the, no, on the edge of the lake, and he's preaching to a crowd that is growing. And as the crowd grows, he starts to feel the pressure of that crowd begin to push him back. And as he's pushing further and further back, he's getting to the water's edge. And next thing he's going to be is in the water. And Jesus turns to Peter, who he and his brother are there cleaning the nets, preparing for the next day's fishing. You have to take all the, the things that might cause the nets to, uh, to be in, uh, affected by bacteria. Uh, little creatures get in there and start chewing away at the nets to get the, the things that are left in the net off. And so they clean those things off the net each time. And as they're cleaning those things off the net, they're doing so in an attempt uh, to be prepared for the next day. Because that previous evening, their, their, uh, their fight against nature, their attempts to, to gather enough fish is, was com- were completely a fail. They were not able to get anything. And they're there that day, disappointed on the night's work, having produced nothing, cleaning the nets for the next day's work when Jesus says, can I use your boat? When Jesus offers to use your boat and get inside, do you let him in? Peter says, sure. He lets him in the boat. They push off a little bit from shore. So Jesus cannot be caught into the crowd. And I expect that the, that the lake is preventing the crowd from causing any more pressure on him. He then preaches. The Bible doesn't say anything about what he preaches. He just says when he finished. When he finishes, you remember the story. He says, go out a little deeper and cast your nets out. And they, they do. They obey. They do as he says. He, they go out. They cast out their nets. And they pull in such a large haul of fish that they have to call for friends. So Peter, Andrew, and Jesus in one boat pulling in this fish. And can you imagine the smile on Jesus' face as they're experiencing what he had planned for them? And they're, as they're pulling in this load of fish, as they're getting it, it's, just, it's so big it's beginning to tear the nets, they call for their friends. So now James, John, Peter, Andrew, and Jesus, all five of them are there hauling in these giant ca- this giant load of fish. And as they pull fish into the two boats and into the two boats and into the two boats, the be- boats begin to become so heavy with the fish that they begin to swamp. And uh, last week I told you they learned something from the first one because the next time this happened, they dragged the net to the shore. They didn't try to just haul everything into the boat. But I wanted to, make a, I wanted to remind you of a point that the blessings of God, some of the blessings of God are so huge that they have to be shared. And all of the blessings of God, all of the blessings of God, in order to be fully taken in, must be shared. All of the blessings of God, in order to be fully taken in, must be shared. So I want to talk to you about Andrew, Peter, James, and John over the next few weeks. I want to start with Andrew. He's sort of the one least mentioned in the group. He's the one left out again and again and again. He's the one who doesn't actually get called up to the top of the mountain. It's 
Peter, James, John, and Jesus that go everywhere. And Andrew seems to be that, that disciple who also ran. He's that guy. They, he's just there. But he's not, uh, he's not in the center. He's not in that first ring of Jesus' closest associates. It, it might have been pretty disappointing to not be in the center of that thing because his brother was. His buddies were. John, whom he had spent a lot of time with, was. John, whom he had parallel experiences with, was. After all, he introduced Peter to Jesus, and John and Andrew had been there on the shore when John the Baptist pointed Jesus out. They had been the first two of all twelve to discover Jesus and to follow Jesus home. There's every reason for Andrew to be disappointed, the, the disappointed disciple. You have Peter, James, John, and Andrew, the disappointed disciple. Peter, the mouth, James and John, the sons of thunder, and Andrew, the disappointed, the left out, the also-ran disciple. What's crazy about the story is even historically, even historically, the book of Acts, nothing about Andrew. It's like he disappeared from the map. And the fact is that he did. I'll show you in a minute a map of it, but Andrew actually goes out of Jerusalem when the scattering of the disciples happens and goes north. And he keeps going north through what we today would think of as uh, Iran and Turkey and he or Iraq and Turkey and he keeps going north till he reaches the Black Sea. And he preaches around the back Black Sea. People in Georgia on the southeast side of the Black Sea claim Andrew is the founder of Christianity in their country. People in Russia who are just north of them on the direct east part of the Black Sea claim him as the founder of their church. People in the Ukraine who are on the north side of the, of the Black Sea claim him as the founder of their church. People in Romania who are on the west side claim him as the founder of their church. And he would come to his end in life. He would come to his final end in martyrdom in Greece. So he goes all the way around the Black Sea. He actually found, founds the church in Turkey, too. I skipped it. The one in Istanbul or, or um, Constantinople. He founded the church there as well. And then in Greece, he comes to his end. What I want to, reason I want to start with him is because of the passage that John, his buddy, writes. Imagine that these are the two youngest, probably, disciples. They may be anywhere from their late teens to their early 20s. They hear about John the Baptist. They leave their two big brothers to fish, and the two of them go find this crazy wilderness preacher who's dressed in camel hair and who's baptizing people in the Jordan, they go out and they find him and they begin to track with him and follow him. They're with John. and The Bible says two disciples were with John at the shores of the Jordan when Jesus passed by. And John the Baptist points him out to Andrew and John and says, there goes the Lamb of God. Now, you've got to open your mind to what that means, because when he says there is the Lamb of God, it, it's a, it's a mind-blowing moment, because the Lamb of God is who they have been waiting for their entire lives. 
The Lamb of God is what the Lamb in the sanctuary meant. What's the Lamb of the Passover meant? It meant the, la- the Lamb of the sin offering meant. The Lamb of God was the fulfillment of what Israel had been waiting for since the time of Abraham. When Abraham was building his altars around in various places, these little stone altars would have a lamb on top. And the sacrificial lamb in that moment was pointing forward to the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. When When he takes his son, Abraham takes his son to the top of Mount Moriah and begins to get ready to offer him, the last thing he says to his son upon the question, what are we going to do for a sacrifice? He says, God will provide for himself a lamb. And sure enough, there is a a, a young goat found there in the thicket that becomes the sacrifice, substituting for his son, substituting Abraham for, for Abraham's son, the sacrifice of the Lamb, which would point forth to the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of God's Son. Here is Abraham who's willing to sacrifice his son, representing for the people who would follow, the people who would watch from now on, that God would provide a sacrifice substitutionary for our children, that our children need not be overwhelmed and overcome by sin, because God Himself will give His Son to replace our Son on the, on the sacrifice, on the sacrificial offering. The ultimate sin sacrifice is to sacrifice your son to some stone, some rock, some piece of wood. To sacrifice the child. And in that moment on top of Mount Moriah, God provided a lamb for the sacrifice so that the child would not be sacrificed. God provided a lamb for a sacrifice to interrupt the transmission of sin from generation to generation to generation. And this moment when he is standing there on the shore, John the Baptist pointing out to John and Andrew, look, there goes the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And all of Israel's history comes to a culmination. It, goes, it starts at that point on top of that mountain and it comes again to, aggressively to a point in the life and death of Jesus and John and Andrew are the first ones who get it. They get the story and they leave John the Baptist whom they have been following and they go after the Messiah and they spend the day with Jesus and it takes one day for Andrew. It only takes one day for Andrew. How long did it take you to be converted? How long did it take for you, for your heart to be transformed and converted? It took It took Andrew one day. From that one day on, all we know about Andrew is that he kept following Jesus and pointing other people, following Jesus, bringing other people, following Jesus, telling other people. He goes to his brother as soon as he meets Jesus. He goes to his brother Peter and he says, we've found the Messiah. Weeks later, he and his brother are in the boat when Jesus, speaking to his older brother because he was the older brother, says, can I borrow your boat? Can I use your boat? The two of them are in that boat for the miraculous catch of fish from the Messiah. John, his buddy, who had stood there on the shore with him, is in the other boat that they called together. And there, there, are, the, there are the cornerstones of the founding of Christianity. There are the, the four men who would take the corner positions on the church that would be built. Andrew. Most people in America know him for 
a golf tournament. We know this name because of St. Andrew's Golf Course in Scotland. Because Scotland also claims him. Did you, that, they, that this name has spread around the world, yet the Bible's fairly silent about him. The church history's not. Church historians talk about him quite a bit. But I want you to hear his voice in what I'm about to say to you. It's on your screen if you have it here or have it up at home. I think it's up at home. I don't know what goes out at home. It says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The him in this is the devil. And I'll get back and prove that to you, show that to you in the text in a little bit. But the him is the devil, I just, in summary. And the they, and the they from John's writing perspective, is every disciple and thousands of the followers of Jesus who have died in the first century. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. That one who would be the sacrifice, the assurance of salvation, the one who would be the answer to every question. It's funny to me, it's fun to me, it's interesting to me to watch children. When we have children's story, if we ever get back to it again, we have children sitting here and someone will be telling a story and they'll ask, and and children, what is that? What's the, and they'll ask the question. And it can be about it can be all about almost anything. And children, do you know who that was? And the little kids will almost certainly somebody will say Jesus. It doesn't matter if the story is about Jesus at all. It could be the story could be about Thomas Aquinas. It doesn't matter. The story could be about Thomas the Train. Still doesn't matter. They're saying Jesus to the answer because Jesus is the answer to every question. And men, men as as adults, could we become? like little children. In this, in the tragedy that was the first century in Christianity, Rome is a horrible place. <laughs> Americans live in the probably the best place to live on the planet. There are a lot, many, 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 many Worst places. But Rome was like the places where Christianity was illegal. I read this week that a pastor in China was fined 24, the equivalent American money, $24,000 for holding a Christmas service by the Chinese government. <laughs> I also read that the, the church in China is causing a fast upswing in its growth again, now that the government is starting to put pressure on it. You see, in the, in the early church, the Jews began to persecute Christianity because they saw it as a threat to the foundations of their religious faith. Then Rome began to persecute Christianity because they, they saw it as a threat to the, the established religious faith. Eventually, the nation began to persecute Christianity because they saw that it was a threat 
to the behavior of the nation. Everything that Christians appall was legal and normal in the Roman practice. The violence, the immorality was normal. There were so many slaves that they outnumbered citizens. They entertained themselves and voted, literally voted in the stands for the life or death of a person who was in the middle of the arena. They literally would vote for whether or not that person would die. The other behaviors are in my mind, but I just can't. I just can't tell. They're just some of them. As Scripture says, some of the practices of the culture are too unseemly to even mention. Things are pretty messy in our world. But Christianity has not yet been outlawed in this country. It has been in other places. Across the Muslim world, it's been outlawed. Lots. China, it's not outlawed, but it's very much on the fringe. And in India, I read a story a couple of weeks ago about three people who are doing humanitarian work in a community, two Christians and a non-Christian guide. They went into a lady's house because this lady was known in the village to kind of know where everyone lived. And they went to ask her who needed help. And they got arrested for proselytizing because somebody claimed in the neighborhood that they were going in there to try to convert this woman. You see, Christianity is still legal in America. And maybe we should take advantage of that while it's still true. If Revelation 13 is true, then there will be a global effort against Christianity and attempt to stop the movement because... You know, Christianity threatens the culture of our world. Because Christianity says there is a truth. There is a God. You do not crawl out of the primordial slime. You were made purposely by God. That the earth is not accidentally the distance that it is from the sun covered with water and oxygen. That those things were designed into it. That your body is so complex that, as the Bible describes you, fearfully and wonderfully made it. It threatens so much of what the culture wants to accept as normal. And so Andrew finds himself in a country, in, in, in a nation, in an empire that doesn't want what he's selling. And so they crucify him. Somewhere around 30 years after the death of Jesus, he also dies. And there's some, there's some discussion back and forth about how he was crucified simply because the, the story is, the tradition is, the belief is that he was crucified on a Roman cross, which would be an X. He was tied there, and over the next two days, he slowly died. There's an X on the British flag. If you look carefully at the Union Jack, there's an X. That's for St. Andrew. The Russian Navy has an X on their naval standard. Blue, blue, big blue X. That's because of Andrew. They overcame 
the culture of evil in their world. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Andrew went around the entirety of the Black Sea preaching the gospel. And the Georgians, the Russians, the Ukrainians, the Romanians, the Turks, the Greeks, all claimed him as their patriarchal father. If there is anything in, Rome, in Revelation chapter 12 to be understood, it is that. Our guide John, last remaining disciple, now writing at about 90, I don't know, 96 to 100, 90 to 100 A.D. Tells us in chapter 12 that this whole thing comes down to a picture bigger than us. He says it didn't start here. He says in verse 7 and 8, the war broke out in heaven. That a battle, the, the battle that we find ourselves caught up in didn't start here. It didn't start with our attitudes. It didn't start with our sin. It didn't start with our problems. It started in heaven. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels, I'm just going to say this. If you have a question about it, send me an email at gracesthepoint.org and I will get back to you about Michael the Archangel, but Michael the Archangel is represented as Jesus. Jesus is Michael. Michael is Jesus. And his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. They did not prevail. The dragon did not prevail, nor was place found for them in heaven any longer. It tells you that they were pri prior to this in heaven, and then they were thrown out. Verse 9, so the great dragon was cast out. The serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, I, I've been asked every time I teach Revelation 12, for, for some reason, this is always a question that people ask me, and I have never actually answered the question. I realized that in all the years of ministry, I have never actually nailed down the question. The question is, always comes up is, when did this happen? When was the devil cast down? When was the dragon thrust to the earth? Well, if we look carefully at the story, the story actually tells us. As we read through this, I'll point more of it out. But this is post-resurrection. The devil is cast to the earth post-resurrection. It's like he's thrown here, locked in here, quarantined here, unable to leave here, because he's no longer able to be as he was before in the presence of God and his angels. Devil and his angels are cast out. Devil and his angels are in fight with Michael. They're thrown out. They're kicked out. They're thrown to the earth. Why at the resurrection? I'll come back to it. But this is post-resurrection. He and his angels are cast out. He's cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brother was accused, who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. I want to split it into two pieces. I know I'm doing a little teaching portion here, but this is what it's about. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. Now get it. Get it. See that this is telling you when this took place. The when is being answered. I heard a loud voice saying, Now, at this moment, now, not before, now, now, salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ has come. They've been cast down. Why? Because the power of God has been revealed. Salvation has been revealed. The authority of the kingdom has been revealed. 
All of that is now present. It's now, 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 now. The point is that post-resurrection, the story has ended. The battle between Michael and, and, and the dragon, the battle with, with, for the, the minds of the angels is settled. Those who would make up their mind to follow after evil, it's over. They're not doing it anymore. Why? Because this, the cross and the resurrection, reveals some things about God. The cross reveals the character of God. To what extent will God go to save mankind? To that extent. To what extent will God go? Abraham is on the mountain with his son, and God provides the lamb so that the son does not have to die in that moment. And it becomes a symbol of, the, of, of God providing an interruption of the normals of man, an interruption of the way man does things. This kid will not die. The next generation will not face the same problem because God will provide a lamb. The lamb is sacrificed instead of the son. The child needs not die from his sins. The child needs not die as a result of sin. The child is now a substitution. A substitution has been found for the child. And all the way down when Andrew and John are standing on the shore looking out at this person walking by and John the Baptist says, there he goes. There goes the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. The sacrifice, that sacrifice will happen. That, that substitution has met its answer. This, the the, 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 the the substitute that was pointed to way back when Abraham stood on Mount Moriah, down through history as sacrifices have been made on the temple on Mount Moriah, has met its end, has met its antitype. Christ is that sacrifice from there to there. From, from, from that moment on that mountain when Christ, God provides a lamb, there is the lamb of the sacrifice as he walks by. It will be three years before it happens. The now is three years after that day. Three years later, hanging on a cross, salvation is given, sacrifice is made. No more lambs are necessary because all those things pointed to the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. They pointed to Jesus. That's what John is telling us. Look, now the devil's been cast to the earth. He's been thrown out. The accuser of the brethren who's, cast, who's been in heaven before God day and night accusing the, accusing the saints... It's thrown out. Why? Because Jesus has died and demonstrated the answer. Demonstrated the answer to the question that brought sin to the world. Can God be trusted? When Eve walked up to that tree that day, and the serpent, the old, the old dragon, and Satan is hanging there in the tree, and he, he says to her, you know, God's not telling you the truth, Eve. He told you you can't eat of the trees of the garden. She said, oh, no, we can eat of all the trees of the garden except this one. Well, he's holding out on you because he knows the day you eat from this, you will be like God, doing good and evil. Had she refused to distrust God in that moment, she and we, would have not known the repercussions of evil. But because she and Adam chose to distrust God, this wasn't about fruit. The fruit was just an object, uh, an opportunity to trust or distrust. Choosing to distrust God, to break that relationship, to say, I don't think God can be trusted, is what set in motion everything what we still deal with today. When you talk to your neighbor, you find your neighbor doesn't trust God if they haven't yet been converted. What is conversion? 
It's you and I learning to trust God. You're saved by grace. That's all God's work. Through faith, that's your trust. That's your discovery that he can be trusted. It's the reversal of the moment in the garden when they took the fruit. The reversal comes when you say, I choose God over the fruit. Well, on the cross that day, as Jesus hung and as Jesus died, the character of God, the question of whether God could be trusted comes down to what he's done to save man. He has gone to the extremity of the sacrifice of a third of the Godhead to rescue mankind. He has provided the lamb for the sacrifice so that no generation before or after need be under the weight of sin, need die under the weight of sin, need be lost because of sin. Three days later, he's resurrected. And the resurrection proves that God has authority over sin. Comes back to life, having taken sin on himself. Comes back to life, demonstrating that God has authority over sin and death. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. You see, John is the disciple who knows he's loved. John is the disciple who describes himself as loved. John is the disciple who over and over and over again says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He doesn't even go by his name when he writes his book. He just calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. When he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the issue is he loves, he loves, he loves, he loves. Fall in love with him, fall in love with him, fall in love with him. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the power of their testimony and the testimony that they continue to give, the word of their testimony, the response of their testimony. Let me pick up the testimony for just a sec. Here it is. When you testify to who God is, when you say, I choose to follow God, it reinforces in your own mind that that's what you're doing. Your mind believes what your mouth says. Your mind believes what your mouth says. And so when you give your testimony, when you stand next to a friend who says, I don't know what to believe, you say, well, I, I, you know, I follow Jesus. That's where I put myself. I trust in what the scripture says. I trust in God. I trust in the the death of Jesus to cover my sin and the resurrection of Jesus to, to ensure my eternity. That's what I trust in. And when you say that, your mind hears you say, I trust in the sacrifice of Jesus. I trust in the resurrection of Jesus. And your mind keeps reminding you of what it is. They overcame him by the word of their testimony. The faith that grew in them because they kept speaking it into the world. The faith that grew in them got bigger and stronger and, and more available to stand against the difficulties of their time. The devil was roaring out against the church during, during the Roman period roaring out against the church, attempting to knock it back into the ground, to kill it off, to destroy it before it gets its seeds really planted. The garden of the church is fed by the blood of the saints who did not love their life to death. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives to death. When John writes those words, these men are in his mind. There's just four of them up there, just a few of them up there, but he's seen the martyrdom of the saints. He's seen them die. He's felt those losses. John is standing alone among the twelve. He's the last man standing on the earth who stood with Jesus as one of the twelve. He's it. A hundred years 
into this, into this new century, into this new beginning, a hundred years, 96 to 100 AD, just 60 or 70 years after the death of Jesus, there stands the last man watching people die, watching people die, watching people die. Halfway through, there was Andrew, John's buddy, John's co-conspirator when they left Capernaum and went to find John the Baptist. Peter didn't come. James didn't come. These two young guys went out looking for him. They found him. Andrew was John's friend. John reached back that moment with those words. The they expanded. In his mind as he spoke, the they is Peter, crucified upside down. His brother James, the first beheaded by, by the people of Jerusalem. Andrew, his dear friend whom he'd traveled the Galilean and Judean pathways with, following and looking for John. These four, he's the last one. These four who drew in the nets, he's the last one. Jesus is dead and raised again back to heaven. James is dead. Andrew is dead. Peter's dead. And he's the last one. And he could go down the list. Thomas, the lesser, or James the lesser, Thomas called Didymus. Down the list. But what John knows about these men, their death was not in vain. He knows that his friend Andrew, in 30 years of ministry, planted churches all around the Black Sea. They went off into a part of the world that no one really knew. They, they weren't aware of or moving in those circles. These men, these men who, who traveled with Jesus, there's like a 70-mile limit. Jerusalem to Galilee, Jerusalem to Galilee, Jerusalem to Galilee, Jerusalem to Galilee. That's what they did. When persecution killed James and Stephen, the church exploded out in every direction. And Andrew went north, all the way up from Jerusalem, all the way up to the Black Sea, across Turkey, across modern-day Iraq, went to the Black Sea and he began to circle the sea to tell people about Jesus. Overcoming the power of Satan in those places. Overcoming the influence of the culture led by Satan in those places. Using only these simple things. Here is the blood of Jesus. The sacrifice for you, the blood of the Lamb will overcome the actions and the authorities and the cultures pushed by Satan. The blood of the Lamb, the sacrifice of God, the character that it reveals will overcome in mankind. 
the mess of our world. And the word of their testimony. As Andrew goes to Georgia, he says, I don't know a lot. I'm not a theologian, but I can tell you what I saw. I saw Jesus do this. I saw him do this. I saw him do that. And it changed who I was. I was a different man before I met Jesus than I am today. And the people there said, we'll stand for that. And he went into Russia and he said, I don't know a lot. I'm not a deep theologian. I didn't spend a lot of time in rabbinic training. But I do know what I saw. And I saw Jesus do this. And I saw Jesus do this. And I saw Jesus do this. And I saw Jesus, the sacrificial lamb for mankind. I saw what John said, that there goes the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I was a changed man because of that. And he went on to Ukraine, and he gave the same story. He went on to Romania, and he gave the same story. And he went on to Istanbul, and he gave the same story. And he went on to Patras in Greece, and he was killed for the story. But he was not lost. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, he was not lost in death. Because he was assured resurrection. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, because of the blood of the Lamb, his eternity was secure. And so though he closed his eyes, the end of those 48 hours of hanging on that cross, the last breath to be taken on the planet, the sacrifice of Christ was the assurance that it wasn't the last breath that he would ever take. And John writes chapter 12, and he says, Satan has been cast to the earth, and he's doing everything he can to destroy it. He says, however, they, they who had passed before him, they whom he loved, they overcame. They overcame the power of Satan. They overcame the influence of Satan on the culture of Rome. They overcame the horrible nature of mankind fed, fed, and fed by self-indulgence. Fed, fed, and fed by sin. Because they said, you know, Jesus died on the cross so that you don't have to deal with this anymore. So that you might be saved. Andrew Peter and James before that John remembered in the boat each had left a stamp on the world and each had multiplied their testimony by the hundreds and even the thousands they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and I would say one concluding thing to you and I who are the result of those testimonies, we need to remember when God looks at us, who he sees. I'm really disturbed about the division among us. I'm really disturbed because we are defining ourselves out of the relationship with God. We're defining ourselves by things that have nothing to do with God. 
really disturbed. I'm hurt by it. I'm, dist- I'm, I'm distraught because of it. I'm a part of it. There was a zealot, a Jewish nationalist of the deepest stripe inside that group of disciples who overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. There was a tax collector sold out to the culture of Rome to to perpetuating all of the horrors that they were bringing on the world. And the two of them were part of the group who overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Remember who you are as God sees you. Remember that you are not your own because you were bought with a price. Remember that you are not what someone else has thrown at you as definition, that your definitions are biblical and scriptural, and you are a follower of Christ, let that be your guide. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Just two things. They stood by the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. They recognized that that was their home base. They went away from being all those other things, and they became members of the body of Christ who understood that his sacrifice was for them. There goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The world. They believed it so much that they went out to the world, all the world that they could find that would listen to them, and they said, you know what I know? I know Jesus died for you. I know that the sacrifice was personal for you because it's been personal to me. Let me say, I'm a different guy now. I'm a different person because of what happened there. We need to remember that Jesus gave one group the message. And that one group, the local church, is still the hope of the world, whether it's China, Iran, Africa, or America. It is still the church that is the hope of the world. We cannot allow ourselves to be divided. We have to stand united in Christ. We have to stand united with one voice. We don't need a whole bunch of other pieces for the message. There are two things. Sacrifice of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And the impact it's had on us. The world needs to know that there's some place for them to stand. I wanted to make sure I got this right. Huh. I'm talking about something written a while ago and its impact on the day. 
a little book. Some of you have heard of it. It's called Ministry of Healing. It says a few things that I want to read. Many have no faith in God. And they've lost confidence in man. But they appreciate an act of sympathy and helpfulness. Everywhere there are hearts crying out for something they have not. They long for a power that will give them mastery over sin. A power that will deliver them from bondage of evil. A power that will give health and life and peace. And then, the world needs today what it needed 1900 years ago. I think you would say 2000 years ago too. A revelation of Christ. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching people. The Savior mingled with man as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs. And won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. Two thousand years. That's been our call. And in China, where the church has had to go back underground from government persecution, it's exploding. We don't know the numbers in places in the Middle East because to be identified as a believer is a death sentence. We do know that when the Iron Curtain fell from Russia, there were millions of people who claimed Jesus. If there's ever a time for the church to get back to our business, our business, it's now. We offer the blood of the Lamb, the assurance of the resurrection, and how it's affected us. culture of sin is overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Let's pray. Father God, we are, uh, we are really poor representatives. We're actually quite a mess. We keep getting sidetracked we take up some inane call of the wild out there. Wander off thinking that's, that's going to make the difference. Bring us back to Jesus. Bring our hearts and our focus back to Jesus. Lord, I speak a grace point right now, but I... I'm concerned about the world church. That globally Christianity keeps getting knocked off its horse. We allow Satan to distract us from our call. I 
pray for those who've been thrown off their horse, forced by authority around them. And thank you for the courage they have that if they're thrown off their horse, they choose to walk, but they're still following Jesus. Lord, most of us in the West are not getting knocked off our horse by any kind of authority. We're just getting off. Lord, call America, Europe, and Australia, and all of those places that are post-Christian back home. Call us to fly the banner of the blood of Christ to the surety of the resurrection and the transformation that it makes in us. Let that transformation be renewed in me today. Let it be the voice with which I speak in this day forward.